Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined today by Peter Suderman and Chris Orr, uh, who is filling in for Alyssa on maternity leave. Chris, Peter, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be talking about movies with friends. First up in controversies and non-troversies, Big Bird has thoughts about the vaccine, and people are super mad about it. Uh, over the weekend, Big Bird's official Twitter account, which is verified somehow, despite the fact that Big Bird is a fictional character, and I feel like this is the biggest controversy of all. Uh, anyway, he <laughs> tweeted, uh, quote, my wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra productive boost that keeps me and others healthy, unquote. Uh, no word on whether or not Big Bird got the uh, Moderna or Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson shot. We're, we're still in the dark on that. Um, anyway, <clears throat> this was tweeted because Big Bird, uh, who is technically only six years old, mean, uh, meaning that he is now eligible to get the COVID uh, vaccine, uh, got his shot this weekend. He got he got, The fictional character got his fictional shot. Um, and frankly, this is, again, way weirder uh, than anything else that we're going to talk about, because why is a bird getting the human vaccine? But whatever, let's roll with it. Some people did not roll with it, however. Some people simply rolled their eyes uh, because this is just another brand engaging in brand nonsense on Twitter. But other people got very upset. Ted Cruz tweeted that this is, quote, government propaganda for your five-year-old, end quote. Uh, though if your kid is scrolling through Twitter at five years old, you failed as a parent. You deserve whatever happens to him. Um, on the other hand, on the one hand, on the one hand, look, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I mean, look, I don't I don't want some creepy bird telling my kids what to do. Um, and there's still some debate over the necessity of the shot for kids. You know, officials in Britain refuse to endorse them for 12 to 15-year-olds because of risks like my Myocarditis. I can't pronounce that word. I'm not a doctor. Um, on the other hand, U U.S. officials voted unanimously to recommend uh, the shots for kids from 5 to 11. And it's not like Big Bird is saying that the kids have to get the vaccines. There's, he's not arguing in favor of vaccine mandates. He's not fear-mongering by saying the kids are going to die if they don't get the shot. Um, he's just saying, you know, for kids out there who are scared to get the shot, get, get a little shot. It's okay. I did it. I didn't die. I have my arms okay. You know, my wing. It's fine. Chris... What do you make of this feather brain fight? Can I just skip all the way to the end and say non-troversy? No, we um, have to dis we have okay. to discuss it. Wow. Uh, Spoilers, man. You know, sorry. Uh, you know, I, I actually was at college with Ted Cruz for one year. I did not have the uh, pleasure of making his acquaintance, although I know many people who did, and uh, zero of them actually have described it as a pleasure. Um, I mean, this is the stupidest thing ever. I mean, just vaccines didn't used to be controversial. This is not remotely the first time Sesame Street has argued in favor of vaccination. This is just, it's, I mean, it's... It's not I the have, first time Big Bird has argued in favor it, of vaccination. People exactly. were sharing video clips of Big Bird, you know, in the, the 70s and 80s, walking around, talking about getting his, his you know, shots. It's fine. You know, but Ted Cruz trying to reinvent himself as the single biggest careerist possibly in the history of Princeton University, you know, and trying to somehow rebrand him as a, I don't know, kind of evolving Duck Dynasty figure with the, the mullet and the beard. Uh, you know, I, I just I have nothing to say except I, I genuinely pity Ted Cruz. I think he's well, an I mean, unhappy it, man. I, I, Peter, I do think this is it, it is interesting insofar as we are we're. This is a proxy for a larger fight about vaccines and, and mandates and everything else. But it is done. This is being done in the dumbest possible way, right? Well, it's Twitter. So I feel like we will find a dumber way at some point. Um, but yeah, it's it's a Twitter argument. And uh, as a result, it's it's being conducted in a way that is pretty dumb. I do think there's a there's a, a deeper issue here that you 
gestured at Sonny, but didn't quite get to, which is Big Bird didn't get the shot. <laughs> like, Big Bird is a fictional character. He didn't mm. get vaccinated. There's no, his arm, he doesn't have like a wing that actually can hurt. It's a puppet arm. There's no, like this whole thing is made up because there's no actual vaccination happening to the big talking bird. Birds don't even get vaccinated, man. So I'm a big bird vaccine truther. I just don't think this happened at all. And I think people need to be, need to be uh, more focused on the fact that big bird is lying about getting a shot because birds don't get them. It's not, it didn't really happen. No, look, if, if you, if you're concerned about kids getting vaccinated, uh, this is the this is the least effective possible venue to mount your argument. And so I I am a big proponent of people getting vaccinated. I like say this on a libertarian podcast every week, sometimes to the frustration of of some of my libertarian uh, listeners. I do think that it's a less obvious case to vaccinate kids. Um, kids are just at much less risk. And it's and like when you look at um, some of the data points about uh, sort of the risks to kids and sort of what the vaccines are likely to do in order to help them. It's not it's not the slam dunk case that it is for every single adult who should of their own volition choose to get vaccinated. Um, and so if you want to raise these concerns and have a data driven argument about like what the actual what the tests show about the kids uh, and vaccines, like I think that's fine. And I think people should have those arguments in a way that is sane and sensible and designed to actually convince people. But Republican lawmakers who are like the real problem here is propaganda from the big bird machine. Big, big bird. Right. It's just I like again. And if you, you know, look, if you want to say, well, look, it's because Big Bird gets some public funding. But it's like, again, then let's like have arguments he is not, about. He is not an agent of the government. Right. He does not He's, work for the U.S. government. Ted he, Cruz saying he does not this work is a government the, message this is, true, is right? literally false. There is a there is a small amount of public dollars that goes into the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the uh, uh, and the uh, Sesame Workshop or whatever the heck it's called that actually like the organization that runs Sesame Street. And, you know, again, if you want to complain about the public funding for that sort of thing, like make that argument. But the argument that like the idea that this is the place, this is the and and the, the particular method by which to mount this. Uh, argument it's not no one is actually going to be convinced by this and no one is and it's not even designed to convince anyone well, it is entirely is, yeah. designed to get ted cruz and a couple of other republican legislators attention from people who are easily distracted by dumb controversies on twitter this, well this is this is this is the 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 broader point i think that is worth talking about here which is that look you know we're talking about people arguing on twitter with each other about the signaling value of having Big Bird do this, right? I mean, because that that's all it comes down to. This is this is this is just another manifestation of the very tribal uh ways in which all of these fights happen. That you, you're gonna have people on the right saying, oh, how dare Big Bird do this? Then you have people on the left pointing and saying, look at these idiots yelling at Big Bird. And then it, none of this has anything, none of this will have any actual impact on children getting vaccinated. Right, Chris? I mean, I like there's no there's no kid who's watching this and uh, play out in real time and saying, well, now now I know what I have to do. I mean, like kids aren't on Twitter. Children, if you did this on TikTok, maybe. 
Maybe, or you do it on the Instagram reels, maybe. Do you but even know I, what the kids these days are, are looking at? I don't even like know you what should, if, if you did like, it on Fortnite. Yeah, had, there you if, go. If you, had, if, you had, if you had a Big Bird vaccine reveal on Fortnite, you would actually maybe reach some kids and convince them to get vaccinated. Ooh, what new or avatar. allay their fears. Or allay their fears about getting vaccinated. But well, like, but here's the, the thing. The, the frustrating thing about, the frustrating thing about, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. But the frustrating thing about all this is that it is just another manifestation of adults fighting about a, adult stuff on Twitter. And it's deeply unserious. And it's so, it's just vexing. It is well, vexing to me. The the only thing I would add to that, and I totally agree with everything you said, uh, is that it's adults arguing over adult decisions. Yeah, Five and six-year-olds are not making the decision whether or not to get vaccinated. They are not being persuaded or unpersuaded by Big Bird. Their parents are. And, you know, there are enough people in the country who think Ted Cruz is an honest human being that he will result in fewer kids being vaccinated. And, and the big issue for kids being vaccinated, let me be clear on this as well, is, is not that they are at enormous risk, but it's that they don't kill their grandparents. Like, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about six-year-olds whose parents want them to be able to hug and snuggle with their 60, 70, 80-something-year-old grandparents who might be at significant risk. And if the kids get COVID, it probably will not have huge health consequences for them. But if they get COVID and give it to their grandparents, it could. Like, it's not to say it will. It's not to say this is, you know, the largest issue in the history of the world. But, you know, but but what Ted Cruz is doing is is frankly appalling. I mean, it's, and and anyone who claims to be pro-family in any way who is recommending against kids getting vaccinated is basically saying, I don't want my children to see their grandparents. Well, that could, you know, solve a lot of in-law <laughs> problems. This is true. You know, this, this could be a, a backdoor solution. No, I mean, I, I look, I, again, I, I think there is, I think there is a legitimate debate to be had about, you know, kids getting vaccinated. Again, we see different, we see different, different countries taking different approaches to the same disease treatment always gives me pause. I'm like, why, why are these, why Why is Britain and the United States kind of at loggerheads on this? Uh, but at the same time, like, the, the, if we're going to have that debate, let's have that actual debate and not this dumb proxy debate uh, through the lens of Big Bird and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and, you know, propaganda to children. I Like, I uh, act like adults. <laughs> Just everybody needs to act like a goddamn adult. And 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 discuss this in a rational sort of way, I'm, especially I'm the six year olds, especially the six year olds. Yeah, the so, six year olds, the six year olds really need to take some rhetoric courses and uh, focus on their debate skills. That's speak, what I that's what I want. Speaking of, of uh, six year olds or maybe five year olds, I can't remember um, the uh, there's a, the great old uh, comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, one of my favorite um, episodes uh, or, or strips is uh, Calvin and he's just. He's sitting out in front of his house and he's got a little box set up and it and it's got a sign on it and it says a swift kick in the butt $1. And Hobbs walks up and says, "Well, so Hobbs is his fake tiger who's real in his imagination and and some sort of the voice of his id." Um and says, "Well, so how's business?" And Calvin says, uh, "It's terrible and I don't understand it because everybody I know ne uh, needs one." Right. Yeah. And this, I feel yeah. like that's true for a lot of Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's true for a lot of Twitter debates, but it's especially I mean, again, all of the, I, we haven't even 
We haven't even touched on Aaron Rodgers here. I would, I would, I would actually pay money for a Big Bird versus Aaron Rodgers <laughs> debate on this. I feel like that could settle, that could finally settle the issue here. You know, Aaron oh. Rodgers brings his expert uh, witness, uh, his his uh, girlfriend Shailene Woodley, uh, up on stage. Be like, so, let's, uh, Sonny, you're thinking small. We don't want a debate. We want a cage match. So we I, want this on pay per view. I would actually go back to 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 Chris's point about this is a parental decision and this is not a decision for for children. And so the, to the extent like it's just crazy to me to call this propaganda for vaccines, because what what was happening here was that Big Bird was basically put out uh, as a, a, you know, a sort of comfort character to to help kids whose parents were going to vaccinate them, whether or not they wanted to be vaccinated, right? Because again, the five-year-old is not the one making the decision. And what Big Bird was, the, the role of Big Bird here was not to say vaccines are good or bad or right. anything like that. Right. The role was to say, look, this might hurt a little bit, but you're going to be okay. And and like, you don't need to be afraid. Yeah. And that's like, it, it. it's actually a message that is, again, whatever you think of, of like, if, even if you're like, I'm not quite sure about vaccinating kids, even if that's your position, like, you should probably want the kids who are going to be vaccinated, whether or not they want to be, to not be, like, freaking out and in terror about it. That seems actually kind of reasonable to me. Yeah. As a, as the, the parent of a six-year-old, I appreciate Big Bird's efforts in this regard. I mean, there's you know, a— I'll make sure that my six-year-old uh, is following Big Bird on Twitter. So, the, to, you know, so we joke can... about this sort of thing, but it can actually make a difference. And I, I have uh, told uh, this podcast about my favorite kind of silly social science study ever, which was um, a, a study in which they dressed little kids in Batman costumes and uh, saw how they acted in certain scenarios versus when they were just dressed in their normal clothes. And the kids dressed in Batman costumes uh, actually behaved uh, sort of basically more heroically. They took responsibility and like were like more sure of themselves. They had confidence, right? Because fictional characters are useful models especially for young kids and like and so when you're dressed as batman and you're thinking of yourself like you're you're making the mental calculus when you're five years old what would batman do you in some ways you make better decisions and again this is silly social science it's not like the the very best you know uh in in uh in in uh, randomized controlled trials here. On the other hand, like this sort of thing, we we know it actually, like if you think of yourselves as, as if you were five years old and you're like, just do what Batman would do, just do what Big Bird would do, kids can actually think that way because these models are useful. All right, uh, so what do we think? Is this a controversy or a controversy that Big Bird is talking about getting his COVID shot? Uh, Chris? Big old controversy. <laughs> Peter? I think it is a controversy because Ted Cruz made it one. <laughs> Yes, I mean that is that is more controversial. But I, I got to be honest, I do think this is a massive controversy, but not not for the reasons Ted Cruz says. Uh, I don't I'm, I don't think this is really a government propaganda thing. Um, I think the real problem is that we're dealing with a bird who's 52 years old, uh, <laughs> is obese clearly, uh, and still hasn't gotten the shot. I mean, I know canonically he's only six because that's what you know in, on Magic Sesame Street land, but that's nonsense. We we all we he's been on screen for more than half a century. BMI is not an accurate measure for tall people. 52. <laughs> Uh, old, fat, uh, needs needs to get his shots. And on top of that, who knows who else he's infected with his hesitancy? What what sort of homeopathic nonsense has he been spouting to Cookie Monster and Elmo? Uh, you know, him and Aaron Rodgers. Maybe him and Aaron Rodgers are on the same page. I don't know. I don't know. We we gotta get that, we gotta get that figured out. But his his shameful 
Vaccine resistance is yet another reminder that we've got a long way to go before we'll get rid of this thing. All right, if you enjoy the show and who couldn't after that amazing segment, um, please head over to atma.thebulwark.com where we'll have a special bonus episode on our favorite rotten installments of beloved franchises. Speaking of which, on to the main event, Eternals. It's Chloe Zhao's epic and epic-spanning tale of immortal beings known as, yes, Eternals, who come to Earth to protect humanity from the dreaded deviants, which uh, appear to be CGI lizards that rise from the oceans uh, to kill all sentient life. The Eternals are doing their work on behalf of a celestial, a giant godlike being known as Arishem, uh, in whom they have total faith and whose designs are ultimately hidden from the team of immortal superheroes until about halfway through. Um, I'm not going to list all of the Eternals here uh, or the actual who play them because there's a lot of them and uh, doing so on a podcast would be a real pain in the ass. Uh, suffice to say, the characters have names like Icarus and Thena and Gilgamesh. Um, these immortal heroes are the basis of humanity's myths and over the years they have become disillusioned with humanity even as they continue to love them for their foibles. Uh, the team becomes divided on ha- how to handle their responsibilities once they learn of Arishem's ultimate plan and there's some big fighting and world-saving stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, I caused a mild stir this weekend uh, by giving my review of Eternals the following subheadline: Marvel's first DC movie. Now, that was slightly intentionally provocative, perhaps, but it's also absolutely true. Uh, Much uh, like the films of Zack Snyder, Eternals is focused on the ways in which gods are forced to deal with the problem of the problem of humanity, just like the problem of humanity and pesky things like free will. Uh, And much like the films overseen by Zack Snyder, there is a distinctive aesthetic at work here. Zhao has never met a horizon or a sunrise or a sunset that she doesn't love to photograph and put people on the distant horizon in very tiny stick figure like quality. Um, The problem with this movie is that the thematic concerns are handled perfunctorily at best. We get shots of the Eternals watching a massacre by conquistadors and then a shot of Fastos, uh, who's one of the Eternals, looking sad in the aftermath of Hiroshima, uh, though not weirdly looking sad at Dachau or the Rape of Nanking or the Cambodian Killing Fields or Stalin's Purges or the Armenian Genocide or Rwanda. You get the idea. It's just Hiroshima. That's the one. Um, uh, The conflict is generated internally by a traitor in their midst rather than externally by disappointment in humanity. Um, It's all quite muddled. Worse than that, to my mind, is that the film mixes Zhao's preferred aesthetic of gorgeous outdoor vistas, and they really do look good. I mean, this movie, when it is not doing the CGI stuff, looks actually pretty good. Um, With the MCU's preferred action aesthetic of very flat, very boring, very green screen CGI battle. Say what you will about Zack Snyder. Uh, but the CGI spectacle uh, that that shows up in his movie is rarely as weightless as it is in MCU's kind of standard uh, second unit house style. Uh, what I'm saying is that this movie is a combination of worst of all the comic book movie worlds. It has the ponderous of the DC movies and the flatness of the MCU movies. Um, no wonder it is currently clocking in at 48% resh, uh, fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And it nabbed an underwhelming B from CinemaScore, the same score, should be noted, that the theatrical cut of Batman vs. Superman earned. Uh, Peter, do you think that the critics have been too harsh on this movie or did they get it exactly right? If anything, they're too kind. Honestly, a lot of people are saying things like this movie looks good. And I think that's crazy. I I don't even like the Chloe Zhao-esque shots here. I think that that the the kind of the processing that goes into the Marvel look just ruins a lot of them. And there's very few shots in this movie that I really found interesting uh, to look at at all, which is just shocking to me, given how 
incredibly gorgeous her last couple of, of small budget films have looked. And, you know, the movie sort of brings in a, a, some of that. Um, but I think it does so in a way that robs her kind of her aesthetic of its power and of its beauty. This is this is just a deeply dull movie about deeply dull people. And so the thing that I that I feel like this movie just fails at completely is it doesn't have any charisma at all, not in the not in the characters, which is where Marvel usually sort of uh, dumps all of its charisma, right? Like these Marvel's movies are not very charismatically directed or or stylized. Instead, they they're just about characters who just are super appealing blockbuster characters that that work on screen in like a you know kind of classic four quadrant way. Everybody likes Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Tony Stark. He's just a good on screen character. He's not like a deep character. There's well, no big Peter- psychological revelations. He's just one that like. If you, unless you're just like an incredibly mean-spirited, awful person, you're going to find Tony Stark basically appealing and want to root for him. Peter, I, uh, can I ask? Can I interrupt here briefly to ask? Are you are you distinguishing between the Marvel characters and the Marvel actors, or are you suggesting a synthesis between the two? Because I'm suggesting I feel like a synthesis because, the, in fact, some of those actors don't work very well in other movies. I would say um, Chris Evans, in particular, has often been kind of flat outside of the Marvel universe, and in, in fact, was uh, struggled I think a little bit early in his Captain America days, but found a kind of charisma, uh, especially as he became positioned at. Uh, more as the antithesis of the Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark uh, it's sort of worldview inside the Marvel universe, and Chris Evans has has done great work as Captain America and has really sold Captain America um, over the past decade or so. And, and I think that's partly a testament to Chris Evans learned how to be Captain America uh, over a couple of movies, and also partly a testament to the fact that Marvel really decided that that was an important thing that they wanted for their movies was these people should be should. Sell the like the singular appealing virtues of the comic book characters they're playing, and I couldn't. T- I have no idea what any of these characters are about. I have, I don't care about them at all. You didn't even bother to name any of them because they're all so incredibly boring. Who cares? And then the other thing that this movie just does wrong is it doesn't get the cosmic epic vision stuff right. I think at all. It's it is just remarkable how underwhelming the imagery is in this movie for a movie that has planet sized, like star creating God robots. There's a couple of moments where I'm like, okay, that design's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool because Jack Kirby made pretty cool designs. But if you go back and look at the seventies era Marvel comics that this stuff was drawn from the splash pages just have this kind of crazy psychedelic verve to them that, and this movie has none of that. It treats everything sort of solemnly and at a remove and also with a sort of very conventional Marvel style. And so I, I just had this recurring thought as I was watching this movie. And then as I was thinking about it afterwards was what if Denny Villeneuve had directed Eternals <laughs> and we had gotten this instead of, or maybe in addition to, uh, you know, in a, in a great world instead of Dune. And so this movie is bad and it doesn't do anything of the things that it tries to do. But I think it's even worse because it suffers from such an, such a, a stark recent comparison to a movie that does something similar, which is show epic sci-fi scale really, really, really well. Uh, and it just, it just totally fails in contrast with Dune, which was like, oh, here's a movie about giant cool stuff. And every single image is the biggest, coolest thing you have ever seen. And then here's Eternals, which has a bunch of things that should be big and cool and just aren't ever. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would push back on this slightly because I do think that Denis Villeneuve is kind of perfectly suited for the aesthetic of Dune, which is like slightly more washed out and slightly more, uh, you know, I, again, deserty. Um, I think is it is would be better, hard to shoehorn him is, into the Marvel aesthetic. I think well, I just that's correct. I just, but I don't think I don't think he is. I don't think he's prone to the big bright colors of a Jack Kirby. There's nothing in Arrival or even Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which has some cool neon stuff. There's there's nothing that he has done that makes me think yes, he is a big primary colors, uh, giant robots sort of guy. I just I don't think that necessarily be maybe they wouldn't have been primary color robots they would have just been monochrome like crazy (laughs) things set against you know uh, like a sun i mean like who knows what he would have done with it but just the he has he has consistently give us such incredible visions of of sci-fi imagery at scale and then you see this and you're like that should this you know the, the 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 celestials in this movie should wow me and and they just didn't ever. And it's not because you can't do that in a movie. It's because this movie failed to do it. Mm. Uh, Chris, what did you make of Eternals? Uh you know, I mean, the amazing thing is that, uh, you know, Peter's gone on about its flaws, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> um I, I mean, I just think almost everything about this entire film was misconceived. Um, and and look, it's really easy. Uh, to say Chloe Zhao was the wrong director, and, and it may turn out that she was. But, you know, but Marvel has taken similar gambles before. I mean, Ryan Coogler was a big gamble on an indie director who directed, you know, one of the best Marvel movies ever. Um, but but the thing that's interesting to me is, uh, is Peter mentioned as a comparison point Dune and, and what this film would be like if it had been directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, and, you know, I think of what this movie would have been like if it had been directed by James Gunn, who did the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I think one of the shocking mistakes of this film, and it's partly because, look, Marvel has been perfecting its formula for over a decade now, and literally perfecting it to the point where they almost never have a miss. And the thing they've realized in the last four or five years is that comedy is not a peripheral part of their franchise. Comedy is absolutely central. And that's why Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, on initial description, Guardians of the Galaxy sounds a lot like the Eternals. Oh, here's a bunch of characters that, unless you are an exceptionally dedicated comic book fan, you have never heard of in your life, and we're going to introduce a bunch of them to you at once, and they're out in space doing odd things. I mean, I guess the Eternals aren't actually in space. They're just from space. Um, but the difference is, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was a riot. It was a joy. Um, and, you know, and they leaned in on that even further with with uh, Taika Waititi doing Thor Ragnarok. I mean, like, they have figured out that especially when they get huge and intercelestial, like, that is exactly where they need to have the humor. That, like, you can't just do these gargantuan, it's the end of the universe again movies and not have a sense of humor about them. And this movie has no sense of humor at all. What about Kingo and his valet? I, Come but, on, but, Kingo. But, but he, the great Kingo he, character. He literally. Well loved from comics. 
he literally spends the entire film like looking as if he can't understand where his co-stars from Silicon Valley are because he's just in a totally different movie. He keeps trying to scare up a laugh and he keeps failing to scare up a laugh. And part of the reason is because nobody else in the cast seems to have any idea of how to tell a joke or respond to a joke or even just have, you know, a sort of vaguely comical expression. I mean, the movie is so... It, it's funny. Uh, it, the, the movie kicks off with, uh, with, with Time, uh, the Pink Floyd song from Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and the opening lines of it are, uh, what, kicking away the moments that make up a dull day. And all I could think is, this entire film is nothing but the moments that make up a dull day. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's... I, uh, there's this the spit beer scene, you know? <laughs> There, there, there. My my take on this is I think they should have. I, I I disagree in the sense that I think if you're going to make this movie, if you're going to make a movie that is literally like dropping in on genocides uh, and being like, hey, we, we don't like this. We you you people should love each other, and you're and, having debates about free will, and, and, and maybe you're having, you should consider whether you want to have a superhero well, movie that's dropping in on well, Hiroshima. No, but, I mean, look. No, but I, I'm just saying that, like, if you want to make that movie, fine. I think I think there's a place in the universe for a, a, a Marvel movie in which Hiroshima is a backdrop, maybe. Sure. Uh, but if you're going to make that movie, y- you have to go you have to go the full like DC and really lean into it and be like, we are making we are making a movie about about gods and free will. And it is going to be it is going to be kind of dark. And we're not we're not going to like lean away from it. My 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 problem almost is that there was too much humor in it for what they were trying to do for what they were trying to do. And I I don't know if they just needed to do another pass on the script or what. But the whole thing uh, does not work. The whole thing does not work because it's just it's at war with itself. Let let, let me just come back to this work on the script thing. And and I think that a film as serious as you're suggesting they they should have made or aspired to make needs to be more serious about its script needs to be more yeah, serious. Totally. I mean, Agreed. Agree with all this. Nothing in this movie made a lick of sense. Again and again and again, there were huge developments that they didn't even try to explain. Um, yeah. The, the deviants, these horrible, evil creatures that they thought were completely eradicated from the earth 500 years ago. Um, but it turns out there were a few that were stuck in the polar ice and they're still around. But one oh, of them, melting. but one of them for no reason that they ever make any effort to explain has developed the new ability to pull powers from Eternals. This had not happened for 7,000 years. They had been on this planet fighting the deviants for 7,000 years, and the deviants never had the ability to suck their powers, and suddenly one does. And why is that? Nobody knows. And suddenly, the main character, Cersei, who explicitly says at the beginning of the movie, I can't transmute sentient life like I can hurt her superpowers that she can touch things and turn them into other things, so she can turn a rock into a pile of daisies or something like that, but she's very explicit. She can't change sentient life into something else. And then she does. And when she's asked how she did it, she literally says, I have no idea and I don't don't think I can do it again. I mean, literally, like, like, who on the team thought that was an okay line to put in the script? I have no idea and I don't think I can do it again. I I mean, mean, it's such a sloppy movie. 
deus ex machinas, right? Like that's literally the God who, you know, shows up with the machine. Um, I mean, I think part of this is the Marvel development process where directors are brought in after stories are hashed out. And so, you know, we've seen um, some discussion about this uh, in the lead up to both Black Widow and Eternals, where uh, they brought in. um, I'm now just forgetting the name of the woman who directed Black Widow. But there was some discussion about how they brought her in and they were like, you know what? We've got the action scenes basically all worked out. You don't need to work on those. What we just want from you is somebody who can shepherd uh, Black Widow's sort of journey, her emotional journey through this. And the director was like, you know, I was sitting there in that meeting and I was thinking, gosh, I'd like to try to make some of these like to do some of these action scenes myself. But but Marvel just sort of starts from like we've got um, a shell of a movie. Right. And you just sort of come in and fill in the the, like you get us from point A to point B. But we've already sort of decided what the where where this is going to end up and some of the major stops along the way. And then, you know, you you said, uh, uh, Chris, I think it was you who said that you felt like uh, Kumail Nanjiani was in a different movie. Well, one of the things that that came out in some of the interviews leading up to this film was that he said that Koizal let him write his own jokes on set. So he was literally just not working from the script. He was just like, he was running around the set trying to be funny. And the rest of the movie was like, oh no, solemn gods, we have a responsibility. And he's like, I am my grandfather too. Right? And like, I'm sorry, that was probably uh, problematic that I did wow. an accent there, right? Like, Canceled. No, but like, I... This is a this is a production method. I think, I think, that if, often... I think if the accent is so unrecognizable <laughs> that I, yeah, couldn't I can't even, even tell what you were doing before that. The, the point was sure that it's it's, that the the point was that it was like it stood out as being not like the rest. That like literally, it didn't feel like the rest of the film. Not um, and and it felt like he had just sort of wandered in from a different production. But this is because of the way these things are now done so heavily by committee uh, that no no individual sort of gets to actually put their stamp on it. And it and typically what Marvel does is say, OK, well, we're just going to suppress all the individual stuff. But here what happened was you had a little bit of Chloe Zhao that sort of didn't work. And you had a little bit of like Marvel's standard uh, approach to to kind of action scenes that didn't work. And a little bit of I mean, there was just sort of a little bit of too much of everything and none of it congealed into a movie that made any sense or, or really provided any of the kind of pleasures or entertainment that Marvel has done so well, even even in movies that I sometimes find frustrating for their formulaicness. No, what, what I, I, I recall that two weeks ago I mentioned uh, of, of Dune that I had rarely seen a film that was more of a director's movie and less yeah. of, an, of an actor's movie. And in some ways that's marvelous because Denis Villeneuve is just is a genius. And in some ways I was a little disappointed because there were actors in there that I kind of wanted to see more from and you didn't really because that just wasn't what the film was. Like, this was not an actor's movie, and it was also not a director's movie. This was a nobody's movie. Like, I don't think there's probably a single person involved in this film who looks at it and thinks, wow, that's just what I wanted it to be. That was my vision. I mean, and Peter, as you pointed out, like, you know, a lot of Marvel movies have been Robert Downey Jr. movies. I mean, this was a movie that nobody seemed to have control of and nobody seemed to have a meaningful vision for. And it just kind of just stumbles along. This is the first Marvel movie where I don't think I can recommend anything about it. And so, you know, I was pretty critical of of Black Widow in a lot of ways. Uh, But Florence Pugh's performance is actually pretty good. And there's a bunch of stuff that, like, I won't say it's great, but it basically works. I don't think the movie as a whole is a good movie. Um, But even something as bad as Thor 2, which is a bad movie, 
Thor 2 is bad. But you know what? Anthony Hopkins is pretty good in Thor 2. And there's some scenes with Loki that are basically like, oh, you know what? This is this is a good scene because Tom Hiddleston is great yeah. as Loki. It's got, and, it's got Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. It's got Tom Hiddleston. I mean, even Black Widow, as you said, has Florence Pugh, but it also has Scarlett Johansson yeah. and it has David Harbour and it has, you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Rachel Who's Weiss the, is pretty good. Rachel in it. Weiss. And and they're all very they're all very good and compelling. I mean, this movie, the I, I I do think that the central the central issue at the heart of it is that we are supposed to care about uh, the relationship between Gemma Chan and Richard Madden's characters, and they are the two most wooden people in the movie. I mean, like I like I think you could there are even other people you could put in those in those roles that could maybe make it work, like. You know, you put Kamel Nanjiani in there in the Richard Madden role, and you put, I, I don't know, uh, Angelina Jolie, maybe, who plays Thena. What is Angelina the, in, Jolie in, doing in this movie, by the way? Doing, what is she doing in this movie? What is Salma Hayek doing in this movie? What are what are their characters? I don't know. Here's, here's, here's a big problem with this movie. Can I just very, very bluntly? I have no idea what any of the Eternals powers are really or what their weaknesses are more importantly i don't i don't like are they vulnerable to could you pull out a gun and shoot one of them in the head and they would die like i don't i don't understand how that works well so one of them had laser swords another (laughs) one had laser fingers another one had laser punching um no i feel mesh is just laser punching yeah he punches Uh, people one of them has laser eyes uh, and then she can turn um, people and things, I guess things, and then eventually people into like roses or some trees Stuff. or whatever. Trends. It's yeah, it's not yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, what do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Eternals? Chris, big thumbs down. Peter, thumbs down. Sadly, I have to give it a thumbs down as well. Though I appreciate. The fact that Chloe Zhao has cited Zack Snyder as one of her primary influences, I, you know, you just you got to go full hog if you're gonna if you're gonna do that sort of thing, you got to go all the way with it. All right, so better luck next time. Uh, that is it for this week's show. If you loved it, make sure to check out our members-only bonus episode on rotten movies and beloved franchises. Uh, make sure to tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If we don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. Convince you that it is in fact the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. Next week.